My name's Liana Berry and you're listening to Art Muse Podcast, a podcast about the intersections between art, healing and creativity. Hello and welcome back to Art Muse Podcast. I hope you've had a wonderful week and you've had some time for creativity and art making. Today's musings are going to be on art and language. So although I feel a little bit out of depth with this topic in some ways, I just think it's a really interesting correlation between creativity and art making and language. And if we're talking about words, symbols, representation, it's a great foundation before next episode in which I'm interviewing an incredible New Zealand poet, Loredana. If we start ourselves back at the fundamental purpose of language, it's to make the internal external is to express our needs, is to connect with others, is to communicate danger, safety, love, belonging, problem solving, all of those sorts of actions and collective thoughts and needs come through language. So it's probably one of our most powerful, important tools, and it's also one of our most complicated. Obviously, language changes and develops all the time. It's got lots of layers, and so there's all this richness. There's a lot of detail, and I'm probably going to be a bit generalised in this discussion. I'm going to be talking about language to get you thinking about art making and how art making is a language, but how also you can use art making to generate language. So often we find with our emotional experiences, we don't feel like we have the language to be able to express them. So it's a form, language is a form of communicating with other people, but it's also a form of communicating with ourselves. So if we think about, I guess, the core way that I'm thinking about language to start us off is that it's representational. You know, it's not something that we're born with, we develop it as we grow and we learn through rote learning. So if we get told continuously that something is a square, then we learn that that is a square. And, you know, that gets blanketed across most objects and forms. We learn what a table looks like. We learn what a fork is. So there's all of these different objects that we attribute a term to, language to. When language starts to become complicated and subjective and rich, when we start to try and give more complex experiences and descriptions words and so if we're thinking about the context of art means podcast obviously I'm thinking about feelings and I'm thinking about creative things like color and so if we are trying to describe color for example we do have this basic shared understanding of some colors So there is blue, there is green, there is orange, there is yellow. And it's the same with feelings. We have an umbrella term for sadness, for anger, for happiness. But behind those terms is like a whole host of detail. And so if you, for example, want to think about the color green and blue, you know that there's all of this vast array of shades and colors and tones in between. And we have colors like phthalo green, turquoise, teal, midnight blue, baby blue, emerald green, lime green. We have all of these different names for all of the different variations that we get in green and blue. But the thing is with language is that there is so much room for individualized perception. So I am sure most of you listening have at some stage in your life argued with your brother, your sister, your friend about a color. You know, 
is it red or is it orange? Is it green or is it blue? And people get really passionately like, no, it is green. But other people are like, no, that must be blue. I That color is blue. And so you see that there's like this shared common language for something, but there is a scope for individual interpretation and perception behind that, particularly when we start stepping into more detail. So most people will agree that a square is a square, but when we start talking about feelings and experiences and detailed variations, that's when sometimes there is disagreement. There is different perceptions, there's different experiences of that. And I find that really exciting because I think that speaks to the fact that there is individualism to celebrate. It's like when you're really stuck in art making sometimes and you're kind of feeling really low and a bit lost. One of the common things that pops up, definitely pops up for me, I'm sure it pops up for a lot of you, is this idea that like why would I bother making something or saying something because it's been said before, it's been made before. But I think the fact that we are puzzling together all of these individualized perceptions and terms and interpretations and experiences to a unique meaning means that there is plenty of room for everybody's individual expression and there is uniqueness and celebration in each person's expression even if there is some signs of commonality even if we have a similar style or use similar forms or have similar shapes it is still imprinted with our individual perception it is still an individualized language and I just think that's really cool I think it's the duality exists right there in that it's individualized but it also speaks to the unity that humans have I mean that's what makes artwork and creative forms so valued is that they are able to be experienced collectively that collectively a group of people identify and find meaning within that artwork and I think the beauty of it is that artwork is 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 able to be interpreted with individual perception and so I'm going to be talking a little bit about symbolism and archetypes today it's highly relevant because that's I guess the meaning making behind language. So if we think about words themselves, they are actually symbols. They are made up of letters, which are, you know, form-based symbols that we, over time, like the square, we wrote, learn them and put them together. And then we're able to have a common foundation of interchangeable language. That whatever dialect, whatever multinational language you speak, you learn to identify each letter as a symbol standing in for something else. So the definition of symbol is something standing in for something else. So a letter stands for a sound. When the sounds are put together, it stands for a meaning. So fork stands for a fork. And it can actually kind of make your brain a little bit like uh, warped because it's like as soon as you take away the word fork, how do you describe that object? You realize how much you rely on those words, you rely on those symbols, because if you were speaking to someone on the phone or on a podcast, how would you describe a fork if you didn't have the word fork? You'd have to say like uh, a long instrument with a handle held on your in your hand with three or four prongs used to skewer food put in your mouth. So I guess like, yeah, you can sort of, it would take much longer. It's much easier just to say fork. And, you know, everyone that speaks English will, will hopefully know what fork means. The drive to have language means there's an ease of communication. You're not sat there trying to expansively explain what a fork is. And, you know, if you have an intention to talk about something in depth or for a period of time, you're going to take like three hours longer because you just took three sentences to explain fork rather than just saying fork. 
So it comes from a drive to have an ease and to have that connection and that translation happen really quickly. And I guess to remove error as well so that it can benefit our everyday life so that we can connect with each other, communicate danger, be productive, problem solve, all of those different things. They're really um, essential aspects of life and language helps us achieve those particularly across borders where you're not in situation with the person so in the modern world language is even more essential because so a lot of our communication happens we're not literally in the presence of another person so if you're literally in the presence of another person you are able to use your body language you're able to point and gesture show each other um, and that can be a really interesting experience. So so if you're traveling, you may have been in that position of not being able to rely on verbal language or written language. If your mode of communication is different due to a disability, um, you might not have or someone you're with might not have verbal capacity or have limited verbal capacity. They might be hearing impaired. So there's sort of a range of presentations that can impact verbal language as well or you've lost your voice if you've been poorly if you've ever lost your voice you suddenly stop taking for granted all of the ways that we rely on shared verbal communication so that's a little bit of background about value of language but I really want to start thinking about how imagery and creativity is an additional form of language and how we can use it as part of that dialogue with ourselves and part of that dialogue with each other and so Kind of going back to symbolism, we, you know, all I've talked about so far is the fact that letters make up symbols for words, but there are a few different types of symbolism. Symbolism basically, in its most simplest description, means a person or situation that stands for something else. We've also got things like metaphor and allegory. So allegory is a story embedded with lesson, principle, moral. So it's like rather than the individual thing being exchanged for a broader meaning like it is with symbolism allegory is is a definition of the much more complex process that happens when the entire story is standing for something more so poems and short stories often have allegory and i think if we think about children's fables and fairy tales you can read into them that they're teaching morals or they're standing for something else more than just what they are in a representational form and you know we think about things like red right little red riding hood or cinderella like we understand that these stories why they are intense and playful and evocative and imaginative they're also really rich in symbolism and teaching children about things to be wary of or to be mindful of or to be fearful of or moral lessons in in different ways or principles that you should live by and values that are instilled in cultures and societies. So fairy tales and mythology is a really interesting avenue of exploration in many, many cultures because often this is how stories and morals and lessons were delivered. And so because there is more than just a symbol within them that the whole kind of storyline weaves together in a complex way to create more meaning is called allegory. And uh, a really famous example is actually the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. So that is primarily agreed upon and thought to be an allegory, a biblical allegory. So it's it's a really interesting topic and I really encourage you to, if you're interested, go and explore fairy tales and mythology and consider the ways that it 
is teaching us. If you haven't read the book, Women Who Run With The Wolves, I highly, highly recommend that. So Clarissa Pinkola Estes is incredible in the way that she shares all of the symbolism and the rich meaning in the symbols and stories and narratives and fairy tales and myths of cultures all around the world. It's a great book and you'll probably benefit from reading it in chunks and letting some of it digest. Um, I really recommend it. I'll link it in the show notes. Okay, let's touch on metaphor briefly before we go back to symbolism and go into archetypes. And I promise I will get back to art making, although this is all relevant. Okay, so metaphor. Metaphor is just comparing two unlike things together to give meaning. So it is a type of symbolism. Symbolism itself is has no singular meaning but a shared association. So I'm trying to think of like a really good symbol that everyone will recognize. Okay, for example, the heart. So if we're thinking about heart. What does that symbolize for many of us? It symbolizes love and passion. It's where our feelings are. We say heartbroken. And if you say heartbroken to anyone, most people know exactly what you mean. They know that you're talking about painful emotional experience related to grief or related to change or related to relationships. So we all have this shared understanding of that symbol of the heart that it can stand in for love. Although it's shared, there is an individual interpretation of it as well. And if we think about how symbols gain their traction, how they gain their meaning, and it's a bit of a mixture of things. So I kind of think about it in three ways. You've got the power of influence, you've got relationships and experiences, and you've got the fact that it's grounded in some reality. So I'm going to talk about two symbols, actually, because I feel like the heart is a very cheesy one, but it's also a very good one to use as an example. But I'm also going to talk about fire. And why not? The heart and fire maybe go together. (laughs) So if we're thinking about each of those symbols, we want to talk about the fact they are grounded in some reality. How is the heart grounded in a reality of love? The fact that it's an organ in our body is because for most people, when they're going through acute emotional distress, they will feel it in their chest. So if you've ever unfortunately had, had a real emotional shock or gone through something really painful, like a painful loss, you often feel like a tightness in your chest. And some people feel like, you know, a pain in their heart. The fact that it's also tied to reality is because the heart is like the core of the human body. And if we think about love and relationship and feeling, it can be seen as the core of life. So that correlation, that connection isn't that hard to see. It is grounded in reality. The fact that a beating heart keeps our body alive and the fact that love and relationships and feelings, you know, they're essential to life. The other one of those things is our relationships and our experiences. So the experiences that we have around a symbol will build up the meaning. So if we get lots of experiences of having cards with hearts on them from people that we care about or making paper hearts with someone that we love. We build up these nuanced stories and narratives around the symbol. The association increases. We also, as far as relationally, will get given information by the people that we are in a relationship with. So whether that's parents when we're children or siblings or, you know, school peers, colleagues, their messaging is we're all highly social. So we become influenced by the communication of others within close proximity. So that's why you see, obviously, smaller cultural divisions and groups of people that have developed their own languages 
their own associations, their own rituals, their own symbolism, because they've collectively done that within that group, even if it is isolated, uh, a sector within a larger cohort of people. And then we're talking about social conditioning, so the power of influence. So obviously we've got the relational power of influence. We've also got a wider messaging that happens. And so that might come from government, that might come through media, that might come from education systems. You've got messaging around and teachings and lessons around certain things that will build up a association with a symbolism. For example, what do we do on Valentine's Day? We have hearts. Hearts are a really commonly used form um, of expression around that day, and that day is to celebrate love. So I used to do this in art classes with kids as well. Like, okay, we're drawing a giant heart and we're drawing all the things that live in our heart, all the things that we have feelings for, and let's see what fills up our heart, what lives inside of it. So, you know, those experiences are connecting for people that symbolism, the meaning of that symbolism. And so if we switch over to fire and go through each of those really quickly. So if we're thinking about what is the symbol of fire? And so this will be interesting for you to think about. But for most people, they think about heat, they think about rage, or they think about warmth, they think about something intense, something happening quickly something powerful so that again there's all these feelings associations with the symbol of fire and so that could be fear that could just be power that could be regeneration and that's all grounded in reality isn't it because if you think about fires they can be nurturing they can be warmth giving out in the wild they can be dangerous and intense and fast moving so depending on your experiences you might might have a different association with the symbol of fire And if you're in Australia and you're frightened of bushfires versus if you're in Sweden and you're looking for fire to keep warm in the winter, you're going to, I guess, have different perspectives of fire as either wild or as nourishing. And then we quickly flick through the fact that our relationships and our experiences, so so like I said, depending on where you are in the world, who you're around, whether you've been in a bushfire, whether you have a fire hearth in your home, all of these different things will build up a different association with the fi- with fire and how you use it for symbolism or how you would interpret it within inside an artwork or within inside a narrative or a story. And then lastly, on top of that, we've got the social conditioning around fire. So for some of you, if you're really into emojis and technology, fire can often be used as a sassy way to say that someone is good looking, that someone is hot, you know, that they they will use a fire symbol or, you know, to say that someone is kind of powerful or, you know, yeah, sassy or brave or whatever it is. Some people will often put a fire like, oh, girl, you're on fire. It's like this acclaim of like what is happening socially in that moment. So there are social dialogues around the symbol of fire as well. Yeah, it's interesting to start to think about it. And as soon as you start to delve into that detail, you realize how much room for difference there is and how individualized it can be. And that is relevant to art making because of the way that you interpret other artworks and creativity and the value and the meaning you hold for them. But it also can impact how you're constructing your your artwork and the messages that you are putting inside of it. So symbolism is really interesting because it plays this line between our conscious and our unconscious. In fact, that sometimes you will be expressing yourself and it's kind of like your your brain already has this 
other language. It's not just words, but it's images and it's symbols that are existing within your mind. They might not be cognitively available. You're not thinking, oh, I'm just going to do a, a painting of a fire because I want it to mean danger and rejuvenation and power and transition. But if you stop and reflect and dialogue with your artwork and maybe some of the other symbols that are present, you might come to realize that that is maybe the emotional meaning that's being expressed. So I think artists can work two ways. Some people are really conscious of symbols and they'll actively seek them out and then construct their artwork with the knowledge that the symbols that they are putting in there are communicating and expressing something. And other people work on a much more intuitive level. And so it's like a free expression where you're it's much more unfiltered and that you're in tune to your intuition and you're just kind of seeing what comes forth and you're letting it flood out and sometimes on reflection you can see this connection between like oh okay like well you know a lion is really symbolic to me and I've also got a stopwatch in my picture and I've also got a tree and all of a sudden you can sort of start to connect these dots around like bravery and time and wisdom or whatever it is you associate with each of those symbols. So you can see automatically that depending on your viewers of your artwork, if you share your artwork with the world, you might not. But if you do, you can suddenly see that each person who's viewing an artwork is may have a slightly different interpretation and a slightly different value based on those things of the reality, like so the the interpretation of the symbolism based in its representation but also experiences and relationships and their social conditioning and obviously you know where they're at emotionally like what's happening for their for them in their lives if there's something that you're craving or something that you're experiencing you're obviously going to be connected to things that symbolize that you know if you're heartbroken I mean Okay, let's talk about music for a second. This is a perfect example. Like if you're happy versus heartbroken, how different is your interpretation and your attachment to different songs? You know, when you're heartbroken, some songs will hit so much more deeply and so much more authentically because you feel like they're speaking to your experience. You feel like it's a representation of what you're experiencing. And that is just so powerful how important art can be in that way in making people feel less alone making people feel seen and heard and keeping us company in some of our more difficult emotional experiences if we want to connect with others we go to language we go towards language because it's the most readily accepted and easily met form of expression and unfortunately in some ways it's the most highly valued i would love for other mediums of expression and language to be more highly valued whether that's non-verbal whether that's art and creativity you know music all of those different things but you know we value verbalization and that's often what's recommended when you're struggling is that you go and speak to someone to talk about it and it can be extremely helpful but the reason, one of the reasons it's extremely helpful is because it's externalizing the internal. And where people get frustrated is when talking doesn't help because they're really desperate to feel that offloading feeling, to feel that like weight drop and just to feel some lightness, just to feel like it's been shared, validated and understood by someone else and to feel heard. 
And so when that doesn't happen, it is extremely isolating and frustrating and concerning for most people because then they're still carrying it around. And, you know, in art therapy, you end up seeing a lot of those people because they've tried lots of things and they've presented to art therapy saying, I can't get it out. I can't express it. I just don't have the words or the words aren't effective enough. And then that is the prompt to look into other ways to get the same result, the same process happening but just using a different medium you know it's like driving in a car and you might be driving to London from Birmingham and you will someone will drive in a Lamborghini someone will drive in a Mazda 2 and someone else will drive in I don't know what's another car type you know a Renault or a Volvo or a Ford so there's like all of these different cars You'll get to the same destination. Sure, everyone might have a slightly different journey and go different speeds and get stuck in different traffic and stop in different places for their lunch, but everyone is going to get there the same way. And so when we're talking about expression, we're kind of thinking about the same thing. The biggest mistake is thinking that the only way to get there is through the journey of words. And I know this episode is about words. Words are highly valuable. I'm going to be talking about how to use art making to bring forth extra words and to brainstorm words and to find language. But there are other means to have that same journey to that destination of feeling like you've been able to express yourself. The beauty of art, as I've talked about so many times already on this podcast, is the physicality of it. That it's in the same way, I guess, that if you're not verbalizing but you're writing, it becomes concrete, it becomes something physical and it's engaging your body. So I had an episode on using art in the body. If you haven't listened, I highly recommend going back and listening to that one. It's one of my most listened to podcasts episodes. But there's this physicality that suddenly enters the world that we can also work with. So in some ways, art making and whether that's writing or visual art or any other number of things, sculpting, it suddenly becomes physical. It's something to work with. Cognitively, we get stuck if we're looking for an exact translation. There is so many different layers to the human experience and depending on your faith and what you believe about the spiritual, but even just from a mind perspective, there is a conscious, subconscious, unconscious. So, you know, there are things that are present in our current thinking, they're consciously available. And then there's all of these things that are stored in our subconscious and our unconscious. So things that rise to the surface and stay below the surface of cognitive recognition. Sometimes with memory that can often sit in our unconscious realms. And then, you know, a memory that you couldn't bring forth unless something triggers it. And then all of a sudden it pulls it into our conscious realm. And so our unconscious is the living space for symbolism. That's often what is feeding our symbolic representation is things that we might not consciously have access to. And that's really uncomfortable for some people. If you like to feel in control, if you like to feel like you understand and you have a really clear map of what's happening for you, and that's going to be difficult because those processes aren't necessarily crystallized and clear and controllable. You can do practices that encourage the use of your unconscious and your subconscious. You know, you can try and arouse like feelings and memories and symbols through different practices. But it's sometimes it's just like something that feeds in that is intuitive. You will express yourself and you will actually reflect back on your artwork and be able to see symbols that you didn't 
sit down and go, I'm going to add this into my artwork today. So if we think about archetypes for a second that I keep mentioning and I keep forgetting to go into, that is a deeper exploration of the unconscious mind. Archetypes have been described in various forms. The common use of the word archetype originates back to a psychiatrist and psychoanalysis, Carl Jung. He was Swiss and he sort of proposed this idea that humans collectively share universal patterns and thoughts or images. So they're like common themes that and symbols that appear in human stories and myths. He also believed that they influence behavior and it, I guess rejects this idea that humans are born a blank slate. He instead believed that humans collectively hold similarities in their unconsciousness and so that they're related to love, death, belonging, fear. There's all of these themes with that's regardless of culture, that's regardless of language. So I highly recommend going and reading more up on Carl Jung and archetypes. It is a little bit hard to distill it into something briefly for the podcast. I so often find myself having to sort of read things a few times to wrap my head around. And I mean, I guess that's the nature. Like he was attempting to theorize and describe the unconscious mind. So it's a big, it's a big ask. Um, these sort of ambiguous topics that we don't necessarily have the nuance in our language for. So yeah. He believed that archetypes were constantly seeking expression um, in individuals and their personality and behaviours and that if we look back at cultural myths and stories and narratives and folklores, there are these like common themes, these common archetypes is what he calls them. So he came up with 12 that common. So they are the sage, the innocent, the explorer, the ruler, the creator, the caregiver, the magician, hero, outlaw, lover, jester, and the everyman. So if you were to go back into most stories, there are these archetypes presenting themselves. It's a way for us to understand ourselves and to explore the human experience. There are other types of archetypes, so like the shadow, persona, the anima, the self, and the wise old man, wise old woman. There's a lot. (laughs) There's a lot to kind of dive into with those and I'm not going to go into each of them individually. But if it's something that does intrigue you, then start looking them up. You'll see Jung referenced in lots of dialogue and lots of literature. He is an author, so, you know, sometimes it can be good to go back to the source. Uh, I found there was a misinformation online um, on my first Google search. There was definitely lots of different lists. Some of were definitely not the same as each other and they were all claiming to be. So, yeah, the internet's pretty incredible that way. As a side note, I we had a quote last week that Osa Rusty and I were talking about, about inspiration exists, but it must find you working. And that's a Picasso quote. And I saw someone on social media had branded this quote um, supposedly by Henry Matisse. And I just thought, what? Did Have I got that wrong or have they got that wrong? And it just goes to show like the internet is an incredible place, but it's also a dangerous place because people can publish all sorts of things and their own interpretation and their own lenses on it. So that's why I'm very much putting a disclaimer over this episode that is an introduction is just naming a few different places for you to do your own research if topic and you know if you can also and you have the time try and find authentic sources and I will link one in the show notes that 
is seems to be relatively accurate and it's a really good article in layman's terms so it's easy to understand if you're sort of new to some of the concepts just gives you a really quick overview i just wanted to i guess encourage you to explore symbolism in your artwork and to dialogue with your artwork i think i've talked about this before approaching art making two ways you can either be intuitive about it or you can be intentional about it so if you're intuitive you're just expressing what's coming out you're just trying not to filter it you're trying not to make judgment over it you're trying not to constrict it you're just expressing it what's coming out is coming out and it might be just line shape color or it might be visual form it might be little drawings of something or words about something if you're in a word-based format just getting it out there and then once it's out there and you can craft it at some point you may like to kind of enter a dialogue with it to look at it to step away from it and to think is is there any symbols here and what do they mean to me And be reflective on it if you have anything in there that's representational. That will obviously be a much easier bridge to understanding symbolic meaning. If you are just working in colour and texture, that might be a little bit less clear. But you can still have a consideration around like, okay, I've used lots of blues and reds or I've used lots of yellows and purples today. What do I associate with those colours? Do they make me feel calm? Do they make me feel angry? Do they make me feel inspired or elated and if you struggle with emotional language I certainly do sometimes even despite my work as a therapist and it can be helpful to literally just google a list of emotions or feelings and see what pops up and descriptive words and adjectives and just see what is on those lists and you might print them off and you might actually just circle some if you're looking at your artwork, have your artwork there or listening to it um, or watching it, whatever it is, the medium you work in, and literally circle some of those descript- describing words and some of those feeling-based words and see what you select. It's a great way to gain insight into like, what you're maybe expressing in your artwork because I think quite often people will say, oh, I love my artwork, I feel connected to it, but I'm not, I don't really know what I'm expressing. I don't, how is art supposed to express anger? Like that's a really abstract concept or, you know, how is it supposed to ex- express grief or how would I even get my artwork to express grief? And one of the ways is through symbolism and understanding that symbolism happens even if we're not being mindful of it or we're not being conscious of it and we're not giving it language so if you feel like you are just an intuitive creator you can start to connect those dots and give yourself language find your language around your artwork by attributing words to it and describing words to it and looking at the symbolism and seeing what it means if you find words hard definitely google some describing words and you can obviously put in a bit of a theme like if you've made something nature-based you can put nature describing words into google or you know flip open a dictionary whatever suits you if you feel like you don't need to rely on a format like that then just brain download off your artwork so literally grab another piece of paper and listen watch look at your artwork and then offload all of the words that you associate with it so some of them will be visual indicators they will be like messy scribbly loud ugly beautiful soft floaty sharp blue stormy whatever those words are you're writing them down so some of that is visually representational and sometimes 
what you will find hopefully is that you start connecting to the emotional side of it. And so that's where I was talking earlier about that individual perception. So you're not asking someone else to do this for you because they're going to see completely different things. And I mean, if you are in a trusted relationship or if you're in an art therapy setting, then you may gently ask someone to write and give language to your artwork so that you can see how individualized interpretation is and see maybe some of the commonalities that other people identify with but you have to be very careful with that hey you don't want to be giving it value so you don't want to be particularly for someone else's artwork you you need to move away from that model of praise or criticism and you're just looking at description and association and so you know it can be it's a high risk if you're doing it with someone else it becomes about the relationship and it becomes about image and about validation we want to be working towards a strong relationship and a rich relationship with our art making and our creativity for self-expression so I do probably recommend that it's easier in the beginning while you're still forming that relationship just to do it with yourself and just to try and create and generate language around and dialogue around your artworks. It's called interviewing the artwork and you can do it, people do it with actual questions as well. So they might ask their artwork, if you were feeling today, what would you feel? Or if you could tell me something, what would you tell me? You know, so they're actually asking questions. Other people just start with the descriptive language and just generate it from there and look for symbols and then consider what's, what those symbols mean for you. The other way to do it is that you can work backwards. So you can either work artwork to words or you can work words to artwork. So and obviously for those of you that are like Laura Dana next week, that you primarily work from words, you may go words to words. There might be more detailed nuance in this than working from imagery to words or from sound to words. But saying that, she'll talk a little bit about her process and that she does have a lot of mental imagery that influences her craft. So it it might be that you're working with dialoguing with imagery in your head or you know you can work words to words so if you had a poem sitting in front of you you can build more language around it so you can build a whole other list of descriptive words or you can interview the poem and ask it because you're trying to find out what its personal connection with you is if it sort of just felt like it was a spontaneous articulation and a spontaneous creation then you can create more personal language around it absolutely if you want to use language as like a foundation or like a springboard for your art making you can work the other way around so you can give language to start a creative expression you can literally just choose a word for example or you can just brainstorm a whole lot of words they might be associated with something that you want to make art about or they might be associated with how you're feeling So it sort of depends what your motivator for being creative is that day. So if it's to do with how you're feeling, you might just write down a whole lot of words and then start considering how you would represent those words. So what sort of symbols, like if you're feeling like full of love and joy and happiness and you're like, oh, but I'm stuck on how to make art around that, then you might write down those words. That's how I'm feeling today. I'm feeling joy and happiness and love. And then you might also start to brainstorm what are some symbols or imagery or aspects of my craft that I can give those feelings. So it might be things like colours, there might be certain colours that represent joy to you, it might be certain symbols that represent 
certain things. So let's talk about something a little bit. I keep saying love today. Perhaps it was because it was Valentine's Day the other day. Um, let's talk about, for example, the word freedom. So if you want to make an, a creative project about freedom, but you don't know how, but that's how you're feeling, it's an essential value to you, or you've got some sort of request or some sort of motivator to be making an artwork about freedom, then you're going to want to brainstorm, okay, what are some of the things associated with freedom? And so start with words, start with the language that you have and then transition it into the visual kind of creative medium. So you might think birds flying, you might think poppies in a field, you might think a colour blue, you might think of aeroplane in the sky or a luggage. There's just like, I don't know, everyone's going to be different. But you might have a whole host of things, um, you know, like a big open beach or a camper van packed ready for a trip. So you can just write these descriptions down. Obviously, you can just see in my descriptions there that there's there's a lot of visual medium automatically coming forth. So you're seeing the symbols already. The symbols that I associate with freedom are, you know, birds and skies and beaches and transport um, and all of those sorts of things. So you, you're kind of like building up from there and then you're going to select one of those things as a starting point for your artwork or your creative expression. So you might start writing a song about some of those symbols and you might, or you might start painting a bird. And so the end product is going to be about a bird or a song about a camping trip, but the meaning, the symbolic meaning behind it is freedom. So you see how like language and art making and creativity play together so nicely and you can really like utilize both and speak to both. I am going to finish up there because I feel like I could just continue to reiterate the same thing. But definitely think about ways that understanding symbolism and metaphor and using language complementary to your and words complementary to your art making can enrich in it and build it and add more personal connection to it and make clearer that pathway of emotional and personal expression that can be really hard for some people to to grasp obviously last week we were talking about transformation so some of these sentiments you know have sort of carried forth from last week um where we were talking about transforming our internal experience but words is one of the ways emotional expression is one of the ways that we do that verbalization and obviously creativity so I'd love to hear what you create what you think of this episode if you missed it from a couple of weeks ago I have an ebook out at the moment called 52 weeks with you for art making with other people you can also support the podcast through buying a ko-fi which is a donation for the cost of a coffee and thank you so much for listening I hope you really enjoyed it Thank you so much for listening to Art Muse Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, then please like, share or follow on whichever listening app you use. If you want to keep up to date on social media, the best place to find us is on Instagram at artmuse underscore podcast. Music